a welcome to Immerse here now in Turkey, no longer in Israel, as we're on the last leg of our journey already. Hard to believe we're already there. As we've been following Luke in the book of Luke and his book of Acts, looking at the story of the New Testament and how you and I fit into that story. I hope it's been an incredible time. I know it has been for me. And I know today is going to be really, really cool as we are here in Ephesus, one of the churches that uh, you're going to be reading about in the second section of the book of Acts that Paul starts. Ephesus 2,000 years ago was quite a place. It was very powerful. It was very wealthy. Uh, it was the Roman provincial capital uh, of the whole region, which is why you have the Senate behind me. And then this was the town hall on the other side. Uh, it was also a very wealthy, prosperous commercial city. And it had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, this giant marble statue. So 2,000 years ago, this was a happening place. This was a very proud place, very ornate place. Obviously, 2,000 years later, it's a bunch of ruins, which there's a lesson there, right? Because for most of the Ephesians uh, who lived here during Paul's day and Jesus' day, uh, everything they lived for is now essentially a bunch of ruins. Now, that's the truth is, that hasn't changed. That's the most natural way for any of us to live, to essentially live for things that really, in the end, don't matter that much. But, of course, there's an option, because for a number of those Ephesians, those who came to know Christ when Paul was here and became part of the church, what they began to live for is still ongoing. You and I are part of that story as God continues to work in the world through his church. And that's actually going to get us to our main point today, and that is this, that if you want to invest your life strategically in things that last forever, then join God in what he is doing. If you want your life to count, then join God in what he is doing. And he invites us to join him. You're part of the story. Now, then you say, well, then what is God doing? I mean, what is his strategy for impacting this world? How is he working? And the good news is we don't have to guess. The Bible is really, really clear. There's plan A and there's no plan B. But it may surprise you what that strategy is, just what God chooses to use. Matthew 16:18, Jesus previewed that. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Then what is he going to be doing? He's going to be building his church expressed in local churches. That's why in Acts 2, the first thing you see when Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles and fills, the, and fills all those believers there. What's the first thing that happened in the story we looked at last week? Church, uh, a local church there in Jerusalem where people began to not only come to know Christ, but grow in the faith and serve and reach their community together. As the church starts to expand, like into Antioch that you'll read about in Acts 13, that's where God decides to send Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And then you'll read the second and third missionary journeys. Well, what did they do? What was their strategy? Well, everywhere they went, they did the same thing, every city. It wasn't just that they were preaching. It wasn't just that they were even gather, getting some converts and people to raise their hand and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. That wasn't the strategy. They were essentially planting churches. One way to summarize what happened in every city, some people refer to as the Pauline cycle because it was, it was so predictable. So he would go into a city, uh, preach the gospel, typically starting in a synagogue, uh, because they kind of had a head start, these uh, Jewish believers, Jewish people that didn't know about Jesus yet, start there, uh, generally get kind of rejected after a little while, uh, and then go start going somewhere else and preaching to the Gentiles. So they preach the message, gather converts into a local church where they could grow together, do life together, serve together, come as you are, be transformed, make a difference. 
And then he would spend time establishing believers in the faith, appoint leaders over those churches that had been developed, and then they would send out some of those leaders to start the cycle somewhere else. And Paul would move on. So the cycle, preach the gospel, gather converts, establish the believers in the faith, appoint leaders, and move on. And that cycle, that process, that strategy is what actually caused Christianity to become the dominant force in the Western world. In just a couple centuries, there were churches everywhere. Now, we're going to see how that plays out here in Ephesus, but just one more picture on what God is doing in the world through the church, and it's strategically. Ephesians 3 is an incredible passage where Paul is writing to the Ephesians, the Christians who lived right here, and he's talking about this big cosmic battle that's happening, this big cosmic question of Satan, right, who's rebelled against God and mankind rebelled against God. And here's what Paul says about God's strategy to demonstrate his right to rule to those who, to the heavenly powers who've rebelled against him. It says that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pretty crazy to think about this, but what Paul is saying is, is that God's strategy for demonstrating his right to rule to Satan and all the demons who've rebelled is a local church. He's basically saying, if you want to see my wisdom and my right to rule, just look at that. Which is nuts if you've ever been involved in church. Because, I mean, there is no perfect church, but a lot of us have been involved in churches that have been disappointing or just duds or maybe even really harmed by church. You're like, why would God choose that? to be his strategy. I mean, I know years ago, that was a massive issue in my life. Um, when I came to this church, when I came to Chase Oaks, I was pretty disillusioned. But long, be- but even before that, when I was in high school, I almost gave up on the church. And our church that we were involved in and other churches in our community just didn't seem to be doing a whole lot to reach people who didn't know Christ, to impact the community, to make the community better and to meet needs and so on. And so One of our pastors told us the best thing we could do is just maybe form our own organization and do our thing. And so we did. It's called Christians on Move Evangelism and uh, mostly uh, high school, college students. And it was an amazing time. Um, And God used, I mean, God worked and a lot of things happened. But we became, as we became more engaged and we saw the church as kind of disengaged, it caused us to say, why church? Like, why is that, why even, why is that even a thing? Because it just seems like a dud. A number of people in our ministry left the church and just focused on what we were doing. And, and I certainly almost did, almost gave up on the church. And we became increasingly critical of local churches. Uh, we even started this uh, monthly newsletter that we would send out. It was called the Tablets of Clay uh, from Habakkuk that says, inscribe the warning on tablets of clay so those who read it may run. Because we felt like God is going to judge the church if they don't get with it, you know, like we were. I mean, the arrogance, but still, that's where we were at. And and I'll never forget this moment. It was my senior year of high school. We were on a family vacation in Breckenridge, Colorado, skiing. I went out at night, which was kind of my normal thing to do in this particular clearing with my Bible, just to read the Bible and pray a little bit. And I was reading in the book of Exodus. And there, Moses gets the law, gets the Ten Commandments, comes down, and the people have rebelled and done the golden calf and all that. And so God puts him to the test and says, okay, Moses, here, what, what if we do this? What if we just get rid of my people because they're no good? I'm just going to leave them behind. They're not faithful. They're never going to be. And we'll just start over with you and your descendants. 
And Moses, even though he's frustrated with the people too, says, no, God, you can't do that. You cannot go back on your promises to your people. Instead, blot my name out of the book of life. Which, when you're telling that to God, that's really serious. Basically, what he's saying is, send me to hell. Seriously. But don't do that. I mean, when you're saying that to God, it's pretty serious. Send me to hell. But don't do that. Don't leave your people. And at that moment, it was as if God said to me, Jeff, if, what, what, if we, what if I give you the same deal? Like, I'll just leave local churches behind, and we'll just, I'll just get rid of them. And we'll start over with ministries like yours. I, I, think, I think I would have said yes. And it was just one of those moments where God kind of whispered into my life. And it was like, Jeff, why are you working against me, not for me? Because what God is doing is building his church. And I was working against it. And so honestly, ever since that moment, I mean, I came back. I resigned from that ministry, dove back into local church to try to, you know, do everything I could to learn and grow myself as a leader and, and help the church move forward. And I've never looked back. Uh, it's been an incredible adventure so far, this life of ju- diving into what God is doing through the church. And when God led me here to Chase Oaks, God really used it to show me what, not a perfect church, but a healthy church could look like. And when Gene asked me to be the lead pastor, I was like, hey, look, however I can push this mission forward, it doesn't matter what the role is, I'm in. Because when the church is not working, it can be really ugly. But when the church works, when it's remotely healthy, it's amazing what God can do. And that's what we're going to see here in Ephesus' story. And that's going to take us to a next location. So now I'm in a neighborhood at somebody's house that's from 2,000 years ago. We'll, we'll understand why here in just a moment. But... You know, as Paul goes into the city, that Pauline cycle we talked about is the disciples understood the mission as not just multiplying converts, not just preaching a message, but multiplying churches. And so we see him do that right away here when he comes to Ephesus to start the church. It says in Acts 19.8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. So these are Jewish people. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, the way of Jesus. So Paul left them. That was pretty typical. So he took those who were converted, who, who were now Jesus followers, he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And that was a little bit unique. So there they found a lecture hall where the church met. They would have also met in people's households. And we know throughout the New Testament that's where the church met. And, and when you think of households, you might think of ancient households and being a little bitty and think, how did the church do that? Uh, but as we'll see here in Ephesus, um, some of these households are huge. Uh, but you see that throughout the New Testament. So you have these wealthy people that have really big households, Lydia and Philippi and, and Colossians. It's Philemon who would have had one of these really big homes. And, and, and you can see them right now as I'm talking about them. They're anywhere from 6,000 to 10,000 square feet with these big courtyards and these big meeting rooms. So Paul stays. It says this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard, heard of the Lord. So people throughout this region were hearing about Jesus, were choosing to become Jesus followers, and their lives were changing. Now you have to understand it was really, really different because worshiping the temple at Artemis, worshiping Artemis at the temple of Artemis or Dionysius and all these Greek gods, it wasn't so much about becoming a better person and becoming more moral and all that. It was really about appeasing the gods. 
Uh, you're just trying to keep the gods happy with you so they would do good things and not bad things. And as part of that worship, it was pretty crazy. Uh, we've talked about that in this series a little bit. There were temple prostitutes uh, at Dionysius at that temple. You would get drunk with wine and, and believe that the gods would kind of fill you. So these new believers came to know Christ right out of that. And their lives were changing. And they were becoming better people. And the church was growing. And so we read in verse 18 that they did something unique. It says, those who believed repented of their evil deeds and confessed them. They brought their books about magic and sorcery, their incantations for driving out demons, sorcery, divination stuff. And they basically made this really huge bonfire. Uh, Luke tells us that it's worth a few million dollars. But what's unique to me about that part of the story is nobody told them to do that. It's not like, Luke, it's not like um, Paul said, you've got to burn these books. They just did that on their own because that's the power of Jesus. Uh, they, they, it's not just external compliance to a bunch of rules, and it, it's not just legalism, but it's about internal transformation and how God can change somebody from the inside out. So that, yeah, they decided to do that, but as Jesus was changing them. And we're going to see, that's the power of the gospel, the power of the good news of Jesus, the power of what God can do, because it's changed from the inside out. And if you and I want to change our culture, change our community, change our country, It's not going to be through external compliance or legislating morality and that kind of thing. It's about introducing people to Jesus who can then change people from the inside out, change their whole desires. Now, we're going to continue as we look at the next story to see the power of that. And this is quite a story. I'll see you at the theater. Well, welcome to the theater. It's an incredible structure. An incredible story happened right here. And I'm just going to start reading from Acts 19. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek god Artemis. So, you know, all these people were coming to know Christ and becoming part of the church, leaving the worship of Artemis, which made you know these guys upset the people who are making all the little idols and that kind of stuff that people will buy and they're concerned so they call a crowd together and that crowd becomes kind of a riot becomes a mob and as they pull the crowd together he says gentlemen you know that our wealth comes from this business but as you've seen and heard this man paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods are not really gods at all and he's done this not only here in ephesus but throughout the entire province Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence. At this, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the theater, this theater. Now, this seats 25,000 people, so that was a lot of people. Everyone rushed to the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions. So those poor guys got dragged in. Paul is just outside this area. He can hear what's going on, but he's not dragged in. So when Paul hears what's going on, he, uh, he wants to go, but the people around him are like, no, don't do it, it's too dangerous. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there, which I think is so timely. There's so many people shouting, you know, right now. It seems like on social media and stuff. And I'm, I, I think a lot of them don't even know why. I think that's what was going on here. Well, it goes on a little bit, and finally the mayor of the town is able to kind of calm things down. It says, at last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. 
Citizens of Ephesus, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You brought these men here, but they've stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. He then says, hey, look, a riot is a really bad way to deal with it. Let's deal with it. If you're upset, Demetrius and the craftsmen, deal with it through the courts. But not this way. The Romans, we don't need them getting upset about this. And so the crowd disperses. But notice what he said last, because I think it's remarkable. He says, hey, they haven't stolen anything from the temple of Artemis. They haven't even said anything bad about Artemis. Now, that's actually a really important observation. Because what Paul was doing to change a city wasn't talking bad about Artemis. It, it wasn't what they were against. They were just preaching Christ. And they were introducing people to Jesus, who, like we said before, changes us from the inside out. It's not about you know, trying to get people to be against something or even to leave something behind. It's, not, it's, it's life change that comes from internal change, from changing our desires that's what's going to change a community. That's what's going to change a culture. That's what's going to change a country. It's not just moralism. It's a relationship with Jesus that transforms us. And as we gather in church and as we find transformation, we then transform together our world. And that is way more powerful than any of us can imagine. I, mean, I think it's easy to look at our world right now and be despondent and look at our country maybe even be despondent. But that's just simply because we don't understand the power of what God can do um, through his church and through the gospel to help us understand just how powerful this is. Paul writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3 says this, and if you want to know the power, here it is. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now catch what he says. It says, now to him who is able to do what we ask. That's not all it says, but imagine that. You could ask as big as you want as you think about what you would hope for your family, for your life, for this country, for this community. Anything, he's able to do it. But that's not what it says. He says he's able to do what we ask or even imagine. I mean, I can imagine big. I can dream big, and God can do it. But that's not all it says. It says he can do all that we ask or imagine. But it's even more than that. He can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, meaning think big, ask big, dream as big as you want. And the gap between what you and I are asking and imagining and dreaming as big as we can, the gap is so big that you can't even measure it, uh, what we can dream versus the power of God. And notice it's what God can do, not just generally, but in and through his church in Ephesians 3. Which means, man, you, should, you and I should be encouraged. We should be emboldened to be part of what God is doing in the world because it's a powerful thing. If you want to be part of all that God is doing in the world and the community, if you want to invest your life strategically and invest where God is working. I mean, he's, there's lots of great causes, lots of great things, but God has chosen to use his church expressed in local churches like Chase Oaks or maybe you're part of another church. And if you are, whether it's Chase Oaks or someone else, then let me encourage you, invite you to dive into all that God is doing and be part of it because that's what God is using to change the world. And I think that's what Luke wants us to understand in Luke and Acts is he doesn't just want us to understand the story. He wants us to understand how we fit into that story. And the story continues. I mean, Acts stops at Acts 28. That's when Paul gets the message of Jesus all the way to Rome. That was a really big milestone. But the story doesn't stop at Acts 28. The story 
continues. You and I are writing new chapters right now, or God is, is writing new chapters as he's continuing to do what he said he's going to do. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what we're part of. I mean, now we're probably on Acts, I don't know, 820 or something like that. But we're part of the story and there's a role for you to play. And so let me encourage you again, just and prayerfully dive into that role. If you're engaged, stay engaged. Continue to stretch yourself. And so to that end, I just I want to pray and commit ourselves to the Lord and invite you to consider your role in continuing the story that we've been telling. It's been an incredible journey. Thank you for uh, thank you for being so faithful uh, to be part of doing this, especially those of you who've read and those of you who've been in groups. I know it's been life changing. And let's pray that God will continue that life change. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this journey that we've been on these last days. It's been amazing just to consider what you chose to do by sending Jesus into the world to make it possible for us to know you and how you are changing and redeeming this world through your church and how you open up opportunity for us to be involved. You've given us gifts and abilities. You've placed us where we are on purpose. And God, help us be faithful. And as a church, Father, I pray that we would be faithful, that we'd be usable to you. Father, I pray that our community would be vastly different, just like Ephesus became vastly different 2,000 years ago. And trust that you would fill us with a fresh spirit of hope and power, knowing all you can do in and through your church. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.